so in 2018, December 2018, um, my youngest sister and I went up to Montana to throw my our middle sister or my middle sister a baby shower. And we got caught in a blizzard. It came on literally within 10 minutes. Like my husband and I were walking outside and we were we were walking the dog. We were staying on this. It was beautiful. The property where we were staying just, it was like something out of like a Hallmark movie. Like a huge sprawling ranch. <laughs> Pre-blizzard. Pre Pre-blizzard. And so we're walking and we'd been, I mean, it was cold. It was December in Montana, but we'd been walking the dog every day. We'd just kind of bundle up. We'd walk by these pastures. And this one particular day, like we're walking and I was like, my ears feel like they're freezing from the insides out. And I'm like, it just, there's something weird. Like I was like, something just doesn't feel right. Like it, it just, I could kind of feel it in my gut. I was like, what, what's up? Like, and so I'm looking around and everything looks okay. And then um, we look on the horizon two minutes later and we're like out in the middle of this pasture on a walk and it is like white out. Like you cannot see the mountains anymore. And we were like, uh, no. <laughs> you were like, winter Run. is coming. <laughs> <laughs> it was like terrifying. But then I was like, I'm thinking like, we've got like 30 minutes. We're good. Literally two minutes later, it's like, we can't see the horses in the pasture next to us. And we're like, run quickly, like quickly, or we're not going to be able to find where we're staying and we're going to freeze to death. So thank goodness we made it back to the little lodge. And like we step, like we're just like booking it. We step onto the porch of the lodge. We turn around and we can't see anything behind us. Like nothing. There is nothing. I have videos of it and it's just blizzarding and it was impossible to get anywhere. I mean, we drove our, we have a four by four off-road truck that we took up there. I mean, it's a, it's a good solid vehicle. And for the next, like we had to stay indoors for like a day and a half. And then I ventured out cause I was like, I need some food. And my car was just like sliding all over the roads. I was like, oh my God, this is with the four-wheel drive, with the bright wheels. It was a little terrifying. So then like, we got back to California and we're like, <laughs> we're so happy to be home. <laughs> <laughs> this weather thing is really throwing a wrench in it. I know. We were like, oh, I don't think we're built for... Like Weather. we were built for like the vacation in the snow. Like, oh, we had, and it was so nice because we were there from Christmas to New Year's. And so we actually had a white Christmas. The blizzard was not over Christmas. It was right before New Year's. So we enjoyed this beautiful white Christmas and we were like sipping coffee on the porch and like talking to horses and like, it, it was so beautiful. And then all of a sudden we were like, oh, this is, this is Montana. <laughs> it mm -hmm. was, a little bit of a wake up call, but I mean, when I lived in Atlanta for years, we didn't, I, there was, we would have ice storms. We would, there wasn't like a ton of snow. Like if you got an inch of snow, school was canceled. Like no one could function. No one could drive on the roads. Kind of like rain in California. Everyone loses their mind when it rains. They're like, what do I do? How do I drive? But I, I still remember in just this weather swings and how hot it got in the summer, how, how just it got that like wet cold in the winter. And like, it just feels like it just chills your bones. Whereas like the cold in Montana isn't actually it's quite dry. that bad because it's yeah. drier. Yeah. But oh man, the cold in, in Atlanta, I just, I was like, I'm, I think I'm out of here. And then the tornadoes and the thunderstorms were actually pretty cool. But like when lightning starts hitting houses, it's not cool anymore. And you know, yeah. Weather. Weather. 2020 weather. I know. Okay. Well, we're just sending positive thoughts towards mm -hmm. that hurricane and saying you can just 
you can just <laughs> move to the right. Go to the right. <laughs> and Florida's like, oh! yes, exactly. Sending positive thoughts to the right. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, I don't get a call on Friday that your plane is your flight's delayed a whole day. Yeah, we'll that, just. Oh, I will be running away from said situation. We'll just uh, we'll just take a book at it or just take a page out of the AA book and just say like we're just going to take it one day at a time. So it's it's you're not there yet. So exactly, fine. exactly. <laughs> just today. That's all you I only have. have. Have grace for today. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I only have to stay sober today. That's it. Think about tomorrow. Just today. <laughs> I can't do tomorrow. Just today. Oh my gosh. Okay. Speaking of sobriety, AA and amazing, amazing people who work their recovery, we're going to be talking about four episodes today. We're just going to do little snippets and tidbits from each one, but we'll also kind of give like a little summary on that person just so in case you haven't heard the episode, hopefully you'll be intrigued and want to go listen. So we're going to talk about episode 71 with Arlena Allen, Uh episode 72 with Preston Moore. Uh (laughs) It's... You're cracking me up today. Episode 73 with Chuck O. Ooh, that's really high. Good job. And then episode 74 with Russian Danny. He gets a techno beat. <laughs> he gets a closed mouth techno beat. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's very European of you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go for that. So we'll start with Arlena Allen. And I definitely want to get your insights and your thoughts on these episodes, because not only were you the one obviously interviewing the guests, but you became like instant friends with Arlena. Oh, yeah. We're besties. Reston. You guys, like you guys both. Also besties. Totally. Like immediate besties. And I mean, I couldn't stop laughing the whole time. The chemistry, it's just, oh my gosh. So we'll start with Arlena. What, like, is there anything that stuck out to you from her episode or anything that you'd like to kind of share from your interaction with her? Because that was just, if you guys haven't listened to episode 71 with Arlena, so much fun. And Ashley shares her story on Arlena's podcast, The ODAT Chat, O-D-A-A-T, which is one day at a time. And that was also phenomenal and so much fun to listen to. But passing the baton to you. Baton has been received. Arlena is awesome. We, yeah, it was just one of those instant friend. Like you could just tell we were going to be, you know, friend. The same with Preston. And what stuck out to me, other than that, she was really fun. I think what stuck out to me was how long Arlena has been sober—twenty six years—and that over the past few years, I want to say it was few, maybe, you know, anyway, somewhere in the five years, last five years range, she got even more honest about her sexual abuse and the things that were allowing her, facilitating her ability to hold on to shame. And one was that, you know, she liked the attention and she like, there were pieces of it that she got to, but 26 or, you know, or in her mid 20 years of sobriety. And those were big breakthroughs. And what struck me about that is that, you know, you, you're not ready to have breakthroughs till you're ready, which sounds, you know, like a really easy and trite thing to say, but it takes time for, you know, to unravel, to peel the onion. It takes 
time. And when you get sober, when you first get sober, you're like, I want to do all the work right now. I want to do it all. I want to, you know, dissect me, cut me open and take out my childhood and let's look at it. And the reality is that sometimes it takes a long time. And if you just keep continuing to do the work, it presents itself, whatever the work is that you need to start to do, as long as you're open, as long as you're paying attention, as long as you're participating. And I thought it was really a testament to that fact that, you know, for her, that was a huge breakthrough and it happened in her mid twenties of sobriety. What an awesome thing to be able to share. What a breakthrough. Um, and also you can stay sober without having those break, without having that particular breakthrough. You can stay sober 25 years and still feel shame about it and then find a way to work through that. So it was also a testament to, you don't have to have everything perfectly worked out in order to stay sober. You just have to be willing when it shows up and presents itself, are you willing? Are you willing to walk through it? Are you willing to look at it, ask for help, so on and so forth? So I thought she was a great, great example of that and that journey. That's amazing. It's it's so brave too, you know, what you're talking about. You know, someone who's 26 years sober, you you look at them and you think, okay, well, they've got it all together. They've have it all figured out. They've been living this way in this lifestyle for so long. And and I'm sure there's, you know, I could even even imagine, you know, for myself, like if if putting myself in those shoes, there there's probably some ego involved with like I've been sober. Like I know I know so much. I've been through so much. I've walked through so much and and you can give so much. And so having those moments where it's like you're having those new breakthroughs, it really takes a lot of humility and just a lot of bravery. So I love that you said that. I think also a lot of patience because my experience is that it feels like you've worked through this stuff. You've talked to a million therapists about it. You've talked to, you know, like it feels like, okay, boring. Yes, I've talked about my childhood and and my abuse a gazillion times. Woohoo, boo boo, it happened. You know, I mean, eventually that is how you start to feel, particularly if you talk about it all the time. And to then be willing to actually open it up again, that it's that's hard. I've had that experience and that is not easy to transition from like, oh yeah, I dealt with that to, oh, maybe I left something out. That's not an easy transition because I think psychologically, what you know, every year you stack up of sobriety and all the steps you work and all the things you do, and then you speak and then you da 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 in your head, that's been resolved. And even if you know it, ha- even if you know that technically there's no like real resolution in your head, you're like, yeah, I worked through that. And you may have worked through that, whatever that is for you at a time in your life where you were one person and 10 years later, you may be a different person who has to work through it again differently. And that was really surprising to me. Um, after I had kids, I became, and I did not think that. I did not, I don't think I changed the way that um, a lot of people experience the change of motherhood in terms of like my whole life changing because I went back to work and, you know, I mean, certainly my whole life changed, but I felt the enormity of my childhood and the enormity of the things that I had experienced after having children in a way that I've never experienced because I didn't have that, you know, I, I didn't have that worldview of being a parent, of looking back and and seeing all those things. And so for me, when the twins were born, that stuff came back up and I had to 
be willing to say, and this was really hard. I was sitting in a therapy office and they're, you know, talking about this stuff. And I was like, but I've worked through this, right? I'm like, I don't know why we're talking about this. Like I have worked through this. I've been to enough therapy, blah, blah, blah. But there was something else there. And I, that was hard for me to accept because I didn't really want to do it again. I was like, I've done this. So just really interesting. And I think she did a really good job of embodying that whole conversation about what you, you know, that things you become ready for, you know, new work as your life progresses and you're not going to get it all done right away. So just keep going, whatever you do one foot in front of the other. Her episode is definitely that episode that when you listen to it, like you, you, it makes you want to grow as a person. She's very inspiring that way. That's at least how I felt after I was listening to it. I was like, wow, like I, it was making me look inside myself and, and want to realize more things. And like, I was inspired to do work as well, you know? And so I love that about her. I loved the chemistry that you guys have. Hopefully we can get more episodes with her. Maybe she can come on and like guest co-host or something. She'd be insane. She'd be amazing. She and I Um, would have uh, had a real good time drinking together. You guys would have been, you you guys would have never gotten sober. No, we would have been, we would have been a deep (laughs) doo-doo. You guys definitely would have been. Talking about hilarious and insightful, not only was Arlena, but so was Preston. I don't know if I've ever laughed so hard talking to oh, him. Man. My man P Town. He P Town. He kills me. He absolutely <laughs> and I went on his podcast, The High Cost and Anonymity. He just kills me, cracks me up. Uh super intense, funny, intelligent, evolved guy. Just I don't know, just really fun to talk to, you know. There's some people who just have I think, you know, I really like people's like, you know. Both Arlena and Preston have really great energy. And, you know, I know know that sounds like something out of, you know, somebody's tarot reading, but I I don't think so. I I see what you're saying. They really, their energy is really fun and light and intense, but uplifting. Like both of them I experienced in this, you know, Preston as well. We could laugh. I could... I love this. And I love this about recovery, about being in recovery and, and, and experiencing this. And I'm not saying this just to like sell you on recovery. I just, I really mean this. Like, I love that I can have conversations with friends or, or, or people I meet where we're talking about really serious topics. We're talking about them intensely, but we're also like interjecting jokes and laughing about them while also being supporting and taking them seriously and being vulnerable. It's amazing. It's the, it's so fun. It's like a, it's like gonna, you know, it's like a psychological roller coaster for me. <laughs> so I, I just think that's so funny. Just absolutely so funny. Like, we, <laughs> I just had this, ex- I'll share this experience. So my best friend, my best friend and I were looking, we we're lamenting over our issues with food and, you know, talking about it and talking about, you know, our body weight and all this stuff. And we wanted to see, we were like, I wonder what like our BMIs are and, you know, where we fit on this scale and blah, 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 blah. And we looked it up online and we're very unhappy with what we found out. And we're sitting looking at this thing where it's like late at night, just talking, whatever. We're like, let's look it up and see what it is. We look it up. We're horrified when we look at this, this thing on the thing. And it's one of those moments where you like most people in this situation would have cried and it would have been this. And we laughed. We took this information like almost 
peed our pants laughing, like crying, almost peeing our pants. It was so funny. And I don't know, it was just one of those. And it was, it reminded me of like, just our ability, like when you are willing and able and deal with this stuff all the time and you talk about it all the time and you're in it all the time, you just learn to just you just learn to be to take some of this stuff and laugh at yourself and laugh at the ridiculousness of what you're dealing with and laugh at the ridiculousness that you still have to deal with it. And having that camaraderie, people who understand how like where you're just like, I'm, I'm, this is the most ridiculous thing where I, where I, you know, my friend who got herself so addicted to Nicorette, she was ordering in bulk on eBay, but she hadn't been smoking. You know, just the stuff that we do, just the stuff that we do is so amazing. And uh, that and it comes from like that camaraderie, that energy. And I felt that uh, strongly with both of them. And Preston, I loved, I bring this up again. I, I put it in his notes whenever I prepped him for the interview, but I loved his Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer analogy. So you can probably explain it better than I can. But basically, he's like, you know, okay, let's say that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the junkie. So everybody's all like, everybody's all focused on Rudolph and like his junkiness or his red nose. And nobody's looking at the fact that there's like a whole gang of people around him that are like contributing to like all the dysfunction. And basically, the reason why he's saying that is because he's he's saying that whenever you're taking a look at someone who is struggling with substance use, you can't just take a look and treat them. You have to treat who's around them, what environment are they in, and who's affecting them. Like who's basically feeding that as well, but not taking that responsibility. Like like just for that dysfunction and treating that. And I cracked up, but it was also really insightful. And I was like, oh that's a really good way of thinking about that, you know? And, and he was even, even talking about that in, in the sense of like family members and, yeah, you know, people contributing. Um, my mom hates that. My mom hates that part of all of this. She, she, so when they started to talk to her about, you know, what she was doing, she oh, man. was not a happy camper about that. She's like, are, are you kidding me? I have been trying to do everything to stop this. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Who's Santa in this, in this arrangement? I haven't thought that far. Maybe we should call Preston. Yeah. I want to be He's Santa. definitely like head enabler. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, he's, he's put, he's no, put no, Rudolph no, no. in the front. He's the drug dealer. Oh, he's throwing, he's throwing the drugs up to good old Rudolph. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you function the best. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, <laughs> you're going to keep everybody giving, else in line. Exactly. We're giving Rudolph meth so he can guide our way <laughs> through the skies. We'll you be alert. About it. it makes I mean, sense. I right? mean, how, how else would Santa be able to make it across the world? I mean, yeah, magic, magic you, you could just equal drugs. <laughs> Rudolph, the meth nosed reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Who are the elves? Okay, who are the elves? Let's let's just play this out. I'm I'm really okay, interested. Okay, okay, okay. No one let your kids listen. It's gonna okay. ruin Christmas for them. But this is great. Okay, Jonesy. Jonesy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, but are they friends? Or are they like the elves? Yeah. I mean, what are, what are, are they're in a gr- grouped. Oh, that's saying <laughs> Jonesy. Like he's obviously using. I was thinking of uh, the woman with the elves, the princess. What her name? What's her name? I'm that like out of it woman today. Woman with the elves. The prince, Sleeping Beauty. 
Isn't she? Doesn't she have elves? Dwarfs, dwarfs, no, not that's elves. Snow White. Get your <laughs> Disney princess facts straight. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Listen, I only had one Disney princess. That was Ariel. Okay, that's all that matters. She was my favorite too. None of the others do anything for me. Although I played Belle in, in the Beauty and the Beast musical. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm out on Belle. She was, you know, <laughs> as well Randy born. would, uh, Randy Jackson would say, "That's a no for me, dog." <laughs> oh my god okay so you're you're wanting to name the elves i just want to see like what their role is oh oh i thought i was you got you got jonesy you got shaky you got yeah, exactly <laughs> you got jitters you got you got, you got angry you got cz <laughs> barfy <laughs> You got klepto. You got constip. <laughs> you got he got backed up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, which drugs make you constipated? I need to know. Opiates. This. Oh my god. Really? Oh, so they girl. make you barf and constipated. Oh, they make constipated isn't is Ugh. is constipated is not a good term for what opiates do. <laughs> they make you. They make your 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 system stop working. Oh my god. Yes. So you're not constipated? Consty? Consty? <laughs> Consty. Backed up. You got you got back you got backed up. If anybody is an illustrator out there, can you yeah. please you know please draw we've, something? Yeah, we've for gone us we've gone laugh. from Santa's elves to the seven dwarves. <laughs> so seven, we're gonna have to seven using dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> No way. I don't know. There's a lot of questionable stuff going on in that arrangement. That is a strange movie, I have to say. And that that movie terrified me when I was younger. That was not my favorite movie. So did Sleeping Beauty. Some of these movies are scary. I mean, for like a three, four-year-old. I don't remember. (laughs) I remember all of them. I was a Disney princess freak. Not anymore, but... Oh, oh, you grew out of it. I grew out of it. I just want... I, I really... I actually still want this. Anybody's listening who can make this happen. I'm a singer and I've always wanted to be a voiceover actor and I've always wanted to be the voice of a Disney princess. Like that, like if you could say like ultimate dream, like a lot of people think my ultimate dream would be like choreographing for like a huge artist. That would be awesome. Ultimate dream is Disney princess, voice of a Disney princess, like ultimate. But I think I'd fit in the best with like a Disney princess that's like super quirky. Like one of the ones from Frozen, like Anna. She's like really funny and kind of like twitchy and like just kind of like just has that like interesting personality. I like that's the kind of one that would like work for me. That's doable. Yeah. Or like the one from Tangled. Somebody told me I looked like her one time. They go, you remind me of someone like your facial facial expressions and the way you say things. And they go, you're like that girl from Tangled. And I'm like, I'm a cartoon. I remind someone of a cartoon. That's ridiculous. Like, I, like she picked me out and was like, who do you remind me of? And then like circled back and was like, that Disney princess from Tangled. I'd never seen the movie. So I went back and I watched it and I was like, you're not off. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. It's not. No. Uh, yeah. I can't say I've watched. Uh, the only ones I've watched are, you know, the Frozen stuff and uh, and uh, a lot of Moana. And uh, oh, my God. <laughs> That was mouth closed. I was I know, trying to I know. swallow the burp. I, I literally, oh my God. I'm like minding my own business and the microphone minding. picks up my throat gargle burp. Oh my gosh. Anyway, what, okay, we digressed. We digressed. We Bab- did. We're going back to Preston. Okay. Saying, what is, 
sorry, Preston, if you're listening to this, is there anything that stuck out about his episode to you or, or from your conversations or even from whenever you were interviewed by him? I really just appreciate what he stands for, which is that, and I completely agree, which is that therapy should be as common as getting a personal trainer, getting a therapy, like getting therapy is not, does not mean that you are weak or, or, or any of the derogatory things you can think of. It just doesn't. And it's crazy to me that we would want someone to help us get our bodies in better shape and train our bodies and show us what to do. And that that would be okay. But having someone get our minds in shape and show us what to, you know, like it's just, You'd get a dietitian. You'd get a, I mean, it's the same. It's so anyway, I just love that he is like, look, I want to make, you know, that's my, that's my soapbox. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here to push. And I, I, I dig that. I totally agree with him. And I think he's just a really bright guy. And, and because he's a lot of fun, um, I think that it's easy to listen to his message. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. He's a lot of fun. Check out his episode if you guys haven't listened yet. So that we don't make this episode incredibly long, we're going to jump to episode 73 with Chuck O. My gosh. I don't know how that guy's still alive. When I was QCing the episode, I just started crying again because I I thought the same thing. I just was like, wow, how in the heck is he alive? So Chuck, his episode was fantastic. He basically never thought he'd be an IV user, won a lot of years doing drugs. He either smoked or crushed or snorted or whatever, swallowed. (laughs) <laughs> the drugs. You can swallow drugs, right? Yeah, you just take them, of course. <laughs> I mean, you can do whatever you want with drugs. Whether, <laughs> whether or not it's advised is a different story. You can tell I have so much experience. <laughs> you can touch the drugs. <laughs> you can move them around on your table. Um, you can take them like Skittles. Isn't there a drug called Skittles? Don't know. Too old. There I was a girl that was talking about that when I was in college, and I was like, I'll take some Skittles. And she was like, no. <laughs> That, oh, that and I was I, like, I'll have some Skittles. It must <laughs> She's like, be. No, you won't. It must be. A, it can be a regional thing too, like what people call. Well, that so, was the mountains of South or of North Georgia. So yeah, that would make sense. But anyways, back to Chuck O. Again, his story. There's so many incredible things about it. But but that the most important point I think, and one of the most important kind of turning points in this story was whenever he became an IV user, and he because his his drug use he he. He was like you in the sense where you was scared of needles, didn't want anything to do with them, felt like that was like a different breed of person almost like, whoa, if you're like IV drug using, like put sticking needles in your arm, like, oh, well, like you've you've gone off the rails. Like that's not okay. That you went downhill fast. And after he did many geographics, came to the West Coast and encountered a situation where this was like one of the only ways to do it or his friend was like oh don't even worry about it just do this and it's not a big deal and like he kind of finally got worn down and did it and then got incredibly sick and then was like I'm never like I I have to feel this way for the rest of my life like I have to and then it took him so downhill from there and he he got to the point where he was he he all his veins I guess I didn't know this I didn't know that your veins got smaller as you used them more they and, yeah and like constrict oh it's that's such a bummer terrifying and then they so, and then they go away too they go away so oh you, my god you can't use them anymore it's a nightmare and so Chuck resorted to his legs and then started getting sores on his legs and ended up his tissues 
the his tissue walls and his legs were breaking down and it was incredibly dangerous he could have died at any moment from toxic blood poisoning if his cell walls broke down enough so that please check this one out <laughs> this he eventually and I, I think i want you to explain this because he eventually gets on what we call mat in the industry which is medication assistant treatment or medicated assistant treatment assisted medication assisted treatment mat or mat and i mean this is a very taboo thing in some circles. And I, I would love for you to take this and explain a little bit more, but it ended up saving his life. And, and just, you, can, you have to hear the whole story. It's a little bit longer of an episode. Stick it out. It's so worth it. But I would love to hear your insight on this, Ashley, because, oh my gosh, there's just so much in this. Yeah, it's a it's a really fantastic interview. Um, he He just does an incredible job. You know, it's funny. For me, the needles were not the turning point. Like I, I know what you mean. Like they were in what you're talking about, but but he was already in the rabbit hole. He just didn't realize he was in the rabbit hole. Like it was, it was always headed there. Always. Like he, the moment he started doing heroin, that was happening. So, uh, in some ways, I, I, what really fascinated me was how involved with the law he was before he was 13 years old. 72 felonies. He. What was it that was, I, I mean, I just couldn't stop thinking about like, what happened? How does that happen? Not to say like, we have to attribute it to one thing or another, just that's an incredible amount of interaction with the police at that age. It's just, it really is. Particularly in a family that was trying to keep him out of trouble, where there was another child that wasn't getting in trouble. I mean, it just really interesting to me, kind of reminded me of my friend, Dan, San Filippo, who, you know, was in prison for a long time and how he was like a little kid running the streets and just really not something that we picture. So that was interesting to me with regard to Chuck. Like what was, what was he seeking and what was the, what was it that was going on that he was getting from that, those interactions, like breaking the law or getting in trouble? He, that was his first drug, right? He continued to do it in the face of adverse effects, right? He continued, continued, continued. And then your question about MAT, uh, medication-assisted treatment usually refers to Suboxone, Suboxone, which um, is an opiate antagonist, and it basically blocks the opiate receptors. There's some stuff that's a little more complicated than that, but that's the most important information so that you don't get high. It does have a small amount of opiate in it. And if you go to Dr. Ken Starr's episode, which is in season one, and it is one of episode the- Episode 26. Episode 26. That is a wonderful episode that talks about MAT from a doctor who delivers it. So I would highly, highly recommend if you want good information about MAT, go listen to that episode, um, Dr. Ken Starr, because he uh, can he can describe it at more in more with more intelligence. The part I can tell you about is that the reputation of MAT in the recovering community is not very good, and. I personally have seen this. I'll just say what the the prevailing opinion tends to be, which is that, you know, we're doing the same thing methadone did, just getting people addicted to another substance that, you know, 
it's harm reduction, but they're not willing to, this is, again, this is the prevailing wisdom, that we're not willing to do the work to do it without long-term MAT. So there's a bias. People, um, many people in recovery will say, well, you're not actually sober if you're on MAT, particularly in 12-step. So I, there's that discrimination. So I, I mean, I know a lot of people don't talk about it. They're in MAT and they're in 12 step and they feel like they have a secret and they can't tell their sponsor and it's this whole thing. So I, I've learned a bunch about MAT and the value that it adds. I have a hard time. I wouldn't personally want to be on it for the rest of my life. But here's, here's the uh, thing that I was thinking about. You know, if you said to me that one of my children, you know, one of my children keeps relapsing and they can do this thing MAT and that can get them to where they need to be to survive. I'm in, I'm in on it. I'm doing it. So I guess there are people out there for whom this is very effective and necessary who just cannot stay sober. And I think there, you know, there are a lot of ways to get sober and MAT can be a bridge to, you know, long-term recovery. And it can be something that people do temporarily uh, just to get off the opiates. It can be something people do, you know, for a period of time or for a long time. And where I come down on it is whatever helps people. I think the hard thing is MAT, you know, there aren't a lot of people talking about having good experiences with it out there. So at least again, in, in, (laughs) my my community, right? I don't speak for all of the recovering 12-step community, uh, but that's just been my experience. So it was really important to get this story where MAT was such a tool, a life-saving tool out there so that people can hear and understand that there are circumstances where this is a really great thing and that, that we should be open to that. We should be open to that. And, you know, again, I don't know how many people should use it or not use it, or, you know, I'm not commenting on any of that. I'm just saying that I really think it's important that stories like Chuck's get out there and that we hear about people who have success. And, you know, his success was not linear. He did not get on MAT and boom, he got better. You know, it was a back and forth and, you know, he ended up involving his wife and, you know, there's all sorts of, in his story, there's all sorts of dynamics that are really crucial and interesting. And I highly recommend listening. This is a guy who went on dead tour, Grateful Dead tour for five years. At one point he would go up and pick up 300,000 hits of LSD and sell them. I mean, just a crazy story, just a crazy, crazy story. Yeah, really, really interesting. So um, highly recommend it. And I hope that the um, story of successful MAT is useful. Absolutely. Thanks to Chuck and and thanks to his wife. That was towards the end. He he talks about his relapse and how his wife helps him um, through that. And it's beautiful and inspiring and such a picture of strength and unconditional love and support for you know, someone who's, who's recovering. And I just, oh gosh, I texted her afterwards and I was like crying. I was like, I have so much, I I was like, I love you already, but like, I have so much more respect for you. And and just, I have so much more insight as to who you are as a person. Wow. Like just, I I can't, I don't know what I would have done. You know, it's just like, wow. Like she just, 
badass woman, just a badass woman to stick that out and, and oh, it's beautiful. Like it really, I mean, really, truly like a picture of unconditional love and oh, it, it, it's, it's a tearjerker for sure. I don't think I've cried like that since you and Peter's episode. <laughs> it was, that was like heart wrenching too. Well, moving on from heart wrenching, <laughs> we're going to go to episode 74, Russian Danny, which his was so, he was just so fun to hear from and just, wow, how down to earth and just like, he was so easy to talk to and you guys became like friends afterwards. I, I think you knew him like kind of within the same circles or something. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Same circles. Yeah. He, um, I, I love that he's doing, you know, his podcast, It's All Bad, where they you know talk about story, crazy stories and recovery. And, you know, he's just a guy who likes to give back and is very active in the recovery community. And I think that that's a really good way to stay sober and a really good way that a lot of people stay sober is you get in the middle of the group, you know, the people on the outsides get picked off, but you get in the middle of the group and the group will carry you when you cannot carry yourself. And he, he does that. And he has a really unique, you know, um, experience because of the international components and, you know, coming here and different culture. And, you know, I think that plays into people's, you know, willingness or wanting to fit in or or be a part of. I, I do know that that's, that's a real piece of the puzzle of feeling like, you know, culturally you fit in. And it was really cool to hear about his journey and, and what he's done. And i um, super grateful that he took the time to come out. Yeah. He made a lot of great points in his episode. It was so amazing to be able to listen to it over again. And I, what I thought was so interesting is like, well, first of all, every every guest we've had on the podcast, obviously their story is so different. There are a lot of similarities, a lot of, you know, kind of similar lines or veins within their story. And then they're, you know, I think the most interesting thing to me hearing about it besides their recovery is hearing like what people's bottom was, like what actually, what it took for them, like what their turning point was to get help and why and I'm so interested in just like the psychology of that and 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 also just like what makes people get to that point and everyone's so different. And so he talked in his episode, he had a lot of moments that were said bottoms for him, but it didn't like he didn't grab on to like really working the program and really committing. And so I wanted you to kind of go into that a little bit and give some insight. So he was talking in this episode about not being able to get it. So he'd be going to AA and people would be like, Oh, you know, Hey, like, do you have a sponsor yet? Like just trying to help him, like trying to reach out and get connected. And he's like, no, I don't have a sponsor. They'd be like, Oh, that guy over there would be a great sponsor for you. And then he said, okay, so then I was bummed because all of a sudden there's that sponsor that all of a sudden people are trying to push me towards or I should get connected with him. So now I've got to find a new meeting on a new night, Mm -hmm. you know, because he just wanted to avoid it. He just was like, no, like not ready for this. Like I'm going to come to the meeting and I'm going to come on my own terms, not anybody else's. And, and like he said, it just, his recovery never stuck. Like he was just in and out. And he said he was stuck in this cycle of he'd go in, he'd get a new girlfriend, get a new job, you know, he'd find a new group, um, new meeting. And then he said he would just burn it all down. And 
I, I would love to just hear you've you've explained a lot about this, and so have our podcast guests. But I think it's important to talk about again, just because we say so much. We use the term "doing the work" so much, and I think I would love to just hear more of your insight on like why that's so important, and like referencing this example of Danny at that moment, you know, or so many moments within his life before he eventually had that moment where he's like, okay, that's it. I'm plugging in. And even with one of his best friends died of an overdose, um, had gotten sober, had encouraged him to um, get connected with the program and just had like just that unction, like, oh, I got to just do this just one more time. I'm missing it. So I got to do this one more time. And he overdosed and died. And really affected Danny a lot, but it still wasn't enough for him to get plugged in. So I don't know what my question would be about it, but I think you you talk so beautifully about it because you've also lived that experience. Well, thank you. You know, there's a lot to say on that. I, I think, you know, we're talking about specifically getting sober in the 12 step community. So that is not the only way to get sober, but it is the one we are talking about. And, you know, you can download, you know, worksheets online that are the 12 steps and it will tell you what to do to work through them by your, you can do it at your, by yourself at home and you will not get the same results. <laughs> you just won't. Uh, I feel really comfortable saying that. I know that's a pretty bold statement, but you may get some results, but you won't get the same results. And the, you know they they say they in they in, in programs say you know the, the the steps are outlined the way they are for a reason that the program is put together the way it is for a reason there's a reason step 1 is step 1 and not step 3 and so forth and so you know there's a reason you work them in the right in this order there's a reason you know like you don't make amends until you get to step 9 which a lot of people want to do early on cuz you know they're feeling good and they've been sober blah 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 there's a reason why they're worked in the in the direction that they are and one of those reasons is that we can you know i always i i say you know we cannot fix our broken brain with our broken brain and when we walk into a situation and we try to control it particularly around recovery we are still adding in our shitty ass ideas and and that that's the reality like i i can't you know we didn't come into program on a winning streak like i wasn't like killing it out there and like you know but i need to get sober you know whether that's a that's whether that's an emotional winning streak or 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 you know financial or otherwise you know it's just like that's not how that works right you 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 come in cuz you just feel like shit or you feel like shit about yourself or whatever so as a result of not coming in on, you know, because you have not come in on a winning streak it and you're abusing substances, it's safe to say that your ideas aren't so great. And so when you try to make things the way you want them to be so that you stay comfortable, like, oh God, people are talking to me now. Oh God, they want me to do this. Like, you're trying to stay comfortable as opposed to trying to grow. And growth is uncomfortable. By definition, it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Did I mention it's uncomfortable? Growth is uncomfortable. So if you're uncomfortable, good. You should be. It's uncomfortable. That's how it goes. You're in the right place. The right stuff's happening. You're uncomfortable. You're on the right track. This shit's uncomfortable. 
And that, you know, that's why it's the courage to change, not like, you know, you should change or (laughs) great job changing, you know, you you better change. Yeah. It's the courage (laughs) to be really uncomfortable. That is hard. It is hard because you're already uncomfortable. I mean, let's be real. You're already uncomfortable because something's not going right in your life or everything. And so he walks in and he tries to work the Danny program and the Danny program is don't talk to me. Now, it's fine in the beginning. I mean, I, I highly recommend people go in and just sit there and like, you don't need to talk to anybody in the beginning and scope it out, go to a bunch of different meetings, check it out, get you. So that I get, you know, going in and kind of like, what's happening here? Are they sacrificing animals? Or, you know, like that's what I wanted to know. I was like, what cult am I going into? Like, I'm at the point where I'll just join the cult because I'm really doing a bad job at life. But I just want to know, like, what cult I'm joining here. And uh, so, well, I, you know, I needed to walk in and make sure there wasn't a goat at the top of the podium. <laughs> so, sacrificial goat. So, so uh, <laughs> good news, there wasn't. Uh, I have yet to see a, a, an animal sacrificed in a 12-step meeting. And so I get it, like wanting to go in and be low profile and not talk and like kind of biding your time. But if you are like, okay, this is, I'm going to opt in, right? I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot and you're going to do it by sitting there and not talking to anybody and then going home and working the steps by yourself. You're just not going to get what you get when you do the whole thing. It's meant to be done together. Uh, It's meant to be, and when I say together, like all the different parts, going to meetings, being of service, working the steps with with a sponsor, all those things, those are recipes. And you can take something out of that recipe and you may still get, I don't know, something approximating, you know, whatever it was supposed to be, but it's not going to be the same. The same way if you took an ingredient out of a recipe and the more ingredients you take out of a recipe, the less it looks like the thing it was supposed to look like. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I, it's almost, it's almost a relief because there's a formula and the formula is do this shit, do it, shut up, do it. Yes, you're uncomfortable, do it anyway, and you will get better. You will get better. That, that's, if you, if you go to meetings, I don't care, you know, if you, you know, the people are like, oh, I can't deal with the religious thing. Totally get it. Totally get it. And that piece was really brutal for me. I just ignored it. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm going to die. So I'm just going to ignore it. And uh, I, God is good orderly direction, right? Follow God, good orderly direction. Okay. So I go, you know, you go in, if you go in and you start talking to people and you just listen to what people have to say, you don't drink in between meetings you get a sponsor and you do this work, your life will get better. You don't have to stay in program forever. You don't have to, you know, like it's not a sentence. I'm just saying your life will improve if you do those things. The problem that a lot of people have that I see is that they come in, okay, they go to meetings, they're like, okay, I can listen to this, whatever, I do all these things, but they don't get in with a sponsor and say, okay, how do I do this? How do I do the work? So what happens is now you just stop drinking and you're listening to stories. That's not fun. That's more uncomfortable. You know, remember when I talked about growth is uncomfortable? Well, that's more discomfort than you actually need because now you're just back to the reason why you started drinking, which is I do not feel comfortable in my skin. 
And so now all you've done is taken away the alcohol. You didn't take away the alcoholic. You took away the alcohol. Alcoholic is still ready to go. So that's the value. The value is don't be miserable. It's not necessary. It's necessary to be uncomfortable, not miserable. And that formula, it it doesn't work the same way for everybody, but it works to some degree. Some people need you know, extra therapy, medication, a different program, whatever it is, but you'll still get better. You'll still improve. You'll still get insight. It's not, you know, there's just no way to do that and not get some sort of insight and not, you know, it's, there's no way to write down all the things, you know, take an inventory and look at your part in each of those things and figure out what, how you could possibly have a part in some of these things and then see it and have someone help you see it. There's just no way to do that without getting insight. It's something, honestly, everybody should do. It's fantastic. It really is just looking at stuff. I just did not because when you don't see your part in all of your resentments, you are a victim of everything that's ever happened to you. But when you have a part, when you have a part in resentments, even even when your part is teeny tiny, even when it's just like, my part is that I was a child. And I didn't know better. You know, like whatever, whatever. You have a part. You have something in it. Your life becomes much more in your hands. You become much more at the helm and much less of a victim of circumstance of just everything happening. You know, it's like in the world I created before I did those inventories, life happened to me and I had no say in it. And the world I have after doing those inventories is a world where I have a choice and a part and it may be teeny tiny, but it's still something. And that is empowering and changed the way I see the world. That's beautiful. I love that. I totally agree. You you do not have to be struggling with substance use of any kind in order to do this either. <laughs> yeah. If there are people out there who are struggling with anything, I mean, I my background is dysfunctional family and, yep. you adult, know... It, adult I've, children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, ACA, highly recommend it. Absolutely. It's fantastic. I've gone to meetings, gotten so much out of it, and I, I it, it has empowered me in such a new way to be able to, just like you said, like I, I felt like a victim for so long. And that is a horrible way to feel. And it's also a horrible way to think. You really, you don't rise to your full potential as a human being if you're stuck in victim mentality. Don't care what the situation was. So it's definitely something I would encourage you guys to to look into as well. Um, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. There are so many other organizations too. I mean, so many. We'll, We'll put a list in the show notes. But thank you. That was so insightful. I love what you said about the recipe. If you take the ingredients out, you're not going to get, you're going to get an an end product and an end result, but the finished product is not going to be what it was intended to be. And it's not going to be as potent as it's supposed to be. It's not going to help you. It's not going to nourish you. And I am freaking queen of changing the recipe. Okay. Like I, uh, both both in my analogy and in real life. Oh yes. Oh yes. I'm like, that looks right. That looks like a cup. You know, I am just absolutely queen. How, how it doesn't need to be baking soda. I have baking powder. It can be baking powder. Like I, that is just like my M O. Okay. So for the, I know you put a fan together in our office. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's my DNA. So for those of you who are, who do that, I, I see you. 
But um, I, I also know from personal experience that, you know, it doesn't come out as well. And it turns out that when you do things as directed, follow the directions, someone else has done the trial and error for you already. I didn't get that part. I was like, oh, directions are from people who did the trial and error. So you don't have to. Meanwhile, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going to try this this way. I can't tell you every Ikea product project I've ever done. I've had to undo half the, you know, I've had to undo the first half to redo it. Every single one. No, you just need to call me next time you get something from Ikea and I'll put it together for you happily. All you have to do is feed me and I'll, I'll put together an Ikea thing. Done. Done. I can't stand doing it. I'd love it. There's something very strangely therapeutic about it. (laughs) I would rather make my own furniture. Like, I'm not joking. I would literally rather go to Home Depot and like, I would be, I would find more enjoyment out of like sawing and cutting the things than like someone, I think it's like someone telling me what to do. Oh my yeah. God. Here it's, there's your ODD. Oh my God. It totally is. Like, your ODD. I literally mm-hmm. won't look at the directions. Like it's, 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 I see it there. I see it in the box. I see you. I just did this with a alarm clock for my kids. I'm like, I can figure this out. I don't need to look at that. I, <laughs> I didn't for realize your masculine it was my energy coming out. Oh yeah. It's definitely, I'm like, I can do this. I don't need you. See, I have trouble asking for help even when it comes to when even when it's written in clear instructions for me to help you. Yeah, to help me. Not to boss you around. Don't mock me with your instructions. (laughs) I throw this away. Yeah, this means nothing. You mean nothing to me. You know nothing. (laughs) I know all. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm usually wrong. Well, you know, I do have to say things got put together in the office during that time very quickly, much to my chagrin, with <laughs> certain items upside down or cords wrapped around, like, like the, the lamp. So everyone pre-COVID, whenever Ashley and I were constructing basically like the semblances of our office and podcast booth, we went to Ikea and bought a bunch of stuff. We bought a lamp, she ordered a rug, we got some chairs, we got some desks and, you know, we were setting it all up and we, you know, again, this is the pre-COVID era, which is so crazy to think about. Like we would have people come in and interview with us in person. I missed it. I know, I know. Crossing my fingers, hopefully that'll come back soon. But we got all this stuff at once and I'm like a recovering perfectionist. We'll say that. And so I want to like... I am not. Out. <laughs> she is, so Ashley and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum and we balance each other out perfectly. So Ashley is like over on one side of the office, furiously, quickly opening things. And it's just like, there's, it's just a big like... Blah, like every and she's like sticking crap to see where it goes and I'm like a Tasmanian devil. Like I just totally I walk into a room and there's an instant tornado. You like you went fast. Yeah, like it was so funny. And I'm on the other side of the room. I've got like I've opened the manual. I've like laid out the parts. I've counted yeah. them to make sure I have enough. Yeah, and like of course it's going to take me five times as long. But literally you know, giving me anxiety afterwards. watching you do that. Just watching. And it's yeah, giving I'm like, me anxiety watching you. And yeah. I'm like, Ashley, no, it's upside down. Look, the the words are upside down. And no, like, the great, flip so, it. But, <laughs> like, Ashley, <laughs> put five parts together. We can't flip it now. So basically everything's together in the room. But our lamp 
it has like three, like, um, I don't know how to describe them. Three kind of like lamp heads. It's on this like pole and you can spotlight them. So you can kind of like turn them and, you know, make the lights shift and, and, and point different ways, which is helpful whenever we're doing interviews. And the bottom of the lamp, there's like th- there's like the electrical cords that wrap around and connect to each of these lamps. The, we cannot move the bottom one at all. It is stuck in its place because the cord is wrapped so tightly from <laughs> the way that you put it together. I, it has personality. Okay. Does and you know what? I gotta say, you got it done so quickly. But it, it me and Ashley's personalities are so cute because she does, she gets things done really fast and like uh, really well, actually. I have to say, like, it's I'm like, gosh dang, how'd she do that so fast? And then like usually what happens is like like if we're leaving this is again pre-COVID, but whenever we were leaving the office at night, like Ashley's side would be like totally like mess and mine's like immaculate and wiped down and so if she ever left early i'd always go to her side and like tidy it up for her <laughs> and i'd like put your oh post-it notes like over here and like move this over here and throw away the trash and like here's the trash bin over here and this makes sense here and i'm gonna push in your chair <laughs> you're amazing i love it no i just it's like not i really i've said this before i really wish i had some of that in me i really do i aspire to some of that it is just not in my brain and my brain moves really fast from one thing to the next. And so it just, I don't know how to do that. I, I, but see, we need people like you, like (laughs) I need people like you, like who like make me bolder and like speak up and you know, all these amazing things that you've helped me do. And then you need people like me who, you know, just come up behind you and like, you just like, blah, like your ideas and all this amazing stuff that you do. And then I'm like, you're like, whoa, whoa. I'm like, what was that movie? Oh God, what's that movie? Fantasia and the little, the broom. Character. Oh, oh yeah, the the broom like goes by itself. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. Up or something, or <laughs> yeah, does like yeah. a dance. Yeah, that's totally. That's like my personality. My personality is like I see the process that's happened. Yeah, and um, I'm <laughs> fix it. Yeah, I'm gonna just like put everything in its nice little place. <laughs> but uh, yeah. we all need each other, and yeah. I mean, quite honestly, like there's no other host for the show. You're literally perfect, exactly how you are. So, well, thank you. I'm flattered. Oh, you should be. You're amazing. As I was telling you in the beginning, we started the recording. I'm like, and you're amazing and you're beautiful. <laughs> what did I say? You said, I'm sorry, I'm not paying attention. No, you didn't say not paying attention. You said, I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't, I don't understand. But she was like, <laughs> I wasn't paying was somewhere attention. else. <laughs> you're complimenting me. I, I mean, I don't take compliments very well, but at that moment, I wasn't paying attention. So I said, I looked at her, I was like, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That's what you said. I'm sorry, what are we talking about? I just started laughing. I was like, oh, Ashley, (sighs) I was telling you how great you are. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Well, thank you so much for all your insight. We have officially, in an hour, (gasps) wrapped up four episodes. I'm so proud of us. That's huge for us. Like four episodes normally would take us like two hours. Um, We've definitely both gotten the gift of gab. So we've grown. We have. We're we're growing. And growth is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. Did I mention growth is uncomfortable? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's super uncomfortable. I want to keep talking. Um, Well, 
Guys, we've got links to each of these amazing episodes in the show notes. So go and take a peek. Also have a link to... We keep saying this and promoting this, but it's absolutely amazing. If you haven't watched the National Online Recovery Day panel number three that Ashley moderated with Jody Sweeten, Danny Trejo, and Gabby Bernstein, please go on uh, the Line Rock YouTube and take a look at that. It's absolutely phenomenal. Each of those guests had such great insight. Ashley did a phenomenal job moderating. I almost cried during the panel, if that helps anybody. Like it was actually genuine, which I I was yelling at myself, don't cry. Loeb, don't cry. Uh, So it, it was really, I mean, there were some powerful moments. There were. I knew I need to actually go back and rewatch it. My sister got a lot out of it too. She watched it and she was like, wow, that was amazing. Um, So we'll have a link to that. And we've put a lot of promos about this. Well, not promos, just kind of like a heads up. Our website has shifted. We are lionrock.life slash courage to change podcast. That is at the bottom of every single show note. Um, You can connect with us. Each of the episodes have their own little like episode page. So you can kind of go in and see more pictures and see all see the show notes there as well. Um, as well as under the about page, there's a background on how the podcast was started and some of our like starting pictures up until what it looks like now, our empty, beautiful booth. Um, and our new email is podcast at linerock.life. Email us. If you want to fill out a guest application, you can go under the contact section. Guest applications, FYI, is how we consider everybody. So if you are so wonderful as to DM us, which we've gotten all of your DMs, I was just going through them this week, we're going to still send you a podcast guest application, which okay with doing as well. But just as an FYI, we are taking new considerations for season three. And Ash, what did you have? Oh, there is a podcast book club. Um, I hear it's amazing. And the book club is on um, the lionrock.life site. And they meet and talk about different topics as they relate to episodes. So like one topic might be depression and they would take all the episodes that include depression in there. And um, it's it looks super cool. Um, I must admit to you that I haven't gone to it yet, but I my, the feedback has been amazing and I am definitely going to go. So maybe I'll see you there. Yeah. Wait, podcast book clip. Oh, sorry. I'm talking now. We'll include the link on the show notes as well. It's a okay. lot of fun. I'm actually going to one today. Oh, that's how I was looking. Yep. Wednesdays at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Every single Wednesday. So you go to groups and meetings. Click here to find a list of meetings. And then is it under community? Or under... You can go under podcast. Yeah. If you go under our podcast page and we've got it... Yeah, but it's we've got a link in there too. Okay. But, but it, it would it, be under, under community. community. Okay. I see mm-hmm. it. I found it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Are you interested in book clubs? Do you enjoy listening to podcasts or audiobooks? Or maybe you just like discussing relatable stories of challenges and hope from amazing people. If any of these are true for you, join our inspiring podcast book club, PBC, and engage in fascinating discussions. Listen, as Ashley Loblasi gave the host of the Courage Change Recovery Podcast interview special guests about addiction to drugs, alcohol, food, codependency, parenting, recovery, mental illness, grief, recovering LGBTQI community, and much more. Each week, PBC will explore a topic covered in a specific episode. Topics and episodes scheduled for each week are listed here. Listen and join. All are welcome. So great. (laughs) And that's all we got. Have an Uh, amazing rest of your week. We are back with all of our after the episodes coming at you. We're going to be doing 
every other Thursday, we're back on that schedule. Sorry for our trips. And think good thoughts for Ashley and her trip to Houston. Thank you. Peace. (laughs) Bye. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.